You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 195, and I'm taking you along my journey through my audition journal. My first year after graduating college. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? My name is Maggie Barra. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me for more on social media at Actor Aesthetic or my personal account at Maggie Barra. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Now, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about audition journals and why they're so important to keep, right? So if you've not been familiar with an audition journal just yet in your journey, let's talk about it. Basically, what I like to consider an audition journal for the musical theater actor or actor living in a big city where there are a ton of auditions, it's really good to keep tabs of where you're going, who you're singing or performing for in an audition setting, what exactly you are doing in that audition room, what monologue you might be doing or song or piece of choreography or even sides, callback material, anything it is that you might be doing in an audition setting, write it down. And if you're having a hard time figuring out where to start when it comes to building your audition journal, don't worry, just go to actoraesthetic.com forward slash shop and look for the audition journal template. I made that just for you and you can use it as a jumping off point. Now to give you some context, especially those of you who are newer listeners of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, my name is Maggie Berra and I am a New York City-based actor. However, I grew up in central Jersey, but I ended up going to college and studying for my BFA in musical theater at Texas State University. I spent four years there and I graduated in 2017. So my audition journal starts off in 2017 with an audition at the very end of my time at school for Holland America, the cruise line, and I was auditioning for a singer contract. I wrote down what it was, Holland America, the role, which was at the time just a singer contract, where the audition was, and for this we drove down to San Antonio, who the casting director was, who actually was in the room, what I wore, and I still have this damn leotard that's more like a like a bodysuit, not really like a dance leotard. Uh, I don't even know where the hell I got it, but I love the color, so I wore that. I wore a black leather miniskirt, black-heeled Doc Martens, and I tried really hard not to be your typical musical theater girly. It was like a grungier version of that at the time. And I remember at the auditions, the casting director at the time really honing in on the fact that this is not a musical theater contract. You are not going there to do a 
show or a book musical or play a role, you're playing a heightened version of yourself and you're there to entertain vacationers. In my notes section of this audition, I wrote down what song I sang for the audition. I ended up singing Holding Out for a Hero and River Deep Mountain High, but I want to say that those were requested of me. Those are really popular songs. So I wouldn't be surprised if those were given to me for the audition at the time. In the notes, I wrote down that I sang both songs and I was asked to stay and dance. And then I included another section in the journal that just says CB slash booked, meaning whether or not I got a callback for that particular contract or whether or not I actually booked the contract. So if I remember correctly, given what I have written down, which is super helpful to see, I had waited a while to hear back from this audition. And I remember sometime during the summer, I was then asked to submit two different songs. One was Skyfall and the other one was Journey's Open Arms. And I remember having to do a self-tape for this. I wasn't able to audition in person for this at this point. I was in Houston doing a show and uh, I filmed these in the hotel room and I'm sure I blew out the eardrums of my <laughs> my roommate at the time. But uh, yeah, and, and at the time too, listen, you know, we weren't super into self-tapes. You know, auditions for the most part were in person in 2017, which was not that long ago. So to think about the early self-tape era, even just 10 years ago, things were really different. It was hard to do on your own and the quality just wasn't all that great, but that was okay. You know, it was expected that things weren't going to be as perfect, but now what's crazy is with the popularity of ring lights and beautiful blue backdrops and green screens and lovely professional editing, all of this professional equipment is literally only a click away. Some of it is more expensive than others, but if you go on Amazon and you just search up blue screen for actors or ring light for actors, you'll find something really quick and just about everything on there is good and you click it and you have it delivered to you. And if you're on Prime, it could be delivered to you the following day, two days later. It's that simple. It's kind of scary how easy it is to get this stuff now. But I remember just trying my best to film the audition. I filmed it. I don't even I think I filmed it in the bathroom of this hotel room with the light because the lighting was the best it could possibly be in the bathroom. I might have even brought in a, you know, a bedroom lamp and sat it right in front of my face. But you know how sometimes if you don't have a ring light and you have lighting, makeshift lighting around you, sometimes that lighting can give you crazy under eye bags and shadows and unwanted lighting on certain parts of your body that <laughs> cause you to look really shiny or really washed out. But that's what you had to deal with at the time. And all I really had was iMovie. So I edited it all on iMovie and I uploaded it to YouTube and sent it off. And sure enough, Several months later, out of the blue, by the end of that year, which I'll get into in a little bit, I had booked the job. And if you stick around long enough to the end of this episode, you'll get to hear my story of whether or not I actually chose to take that job 
or wait for something else that was on the horizon. So that audition was in May of 2017. And remember, I wasn't really auditioning for a whole lot. I was still in Texas. We were graduating by the end of that month. And at the time, I was getting ready to go to Houston to take our production of The World According to Snoopy, which was a sequel of Your Good Man Charlie Brown. We were moving that production from Texas State over to Theater Under the Stars in Houston, and that experience was incredible, and I'll talk about it more in an upcoming episode. I was playing Lucy Van Pelt, the incredibly bossy girly that she is, and it was so, so fun. So that's why I was actually in Houston doing that self-tape for Holland America. So on 6-17-2017, my next professional audition that I had was another self-tape and this time it was for Rock of Ages on Norwegian Cruise Line and I want to say the reason why I even got this audition was I might have seen it online maybe on Broadway World or Playbill I don't even know if I necessarily had actors access quite yet so if anything I had emailed them my headshot and resume and my headshot at the time was really looking like a sherry girl from Rock of Ages so it was an easy thing to send off. The casting director was Eisenberg and Beans. It was a video request that I got to my email direct. And let's see, I sent in that audition wearing a black top, a jean jacket, black pants, and I ended up having my hair short. Now, what you'll hear me talk about is how I did my hair, because this was really important to me. Why? Because in 2017, up until 2020, I was wearing my hair completely unnatural, so much so I was wearing extensions, clip-in extensions, and the extensions were super, super long. My hair was bleached, bleached blonde, and it was breaking off, and so if I wanted my hair to be long or at least look relatively healthy, I would have to wear my extensions. Now, I loved my extensions, and I very rarely went to an audition or honestly just outside without them unless I had my hair up. But for this, because I knew that Cherry typically has that cutesy, shorter, blonde, almost like a long bob look, it has a lot of volume, it looked a little bit like if I had styled my natural hair. And if you know me now, natural to me now means like, naturally curly, but at the time I didn't know it was naturally curly. I just thought it was really, really, really floofy and I straightened the crap out of it. Um, But for this audition, I wrote down that I had short hair. So that was good for me to know. And my audition cut was simply hearted my heart. It was like a 16 bar cut they had sent to me and I had to record that. I literally just had to say, hi, my name is Maggie Barra and I'm singing Heart of My Heart from Rock of Ages. Here's my audition tape for Sherry. Thanks so much. And boom. And it was like, I'm gonna harden my heart. And it was like the swallow my tears. I'm gonna turn and leave you here. Belted, obviously, but God, I'll save my my vocal cords for now. And uh, holy crap, that might have been the hardest self-tape I, I've ever had to make because it's just so ridiculous. And what's so funny is I never had to do that song again until this year when I was called in for Sherry. Once again, never got to play her, but I'd still love to. And I had to record that exact same audition cut, and it was just as hard as it was in 2017. Um, Wow. Just so, so difficult. 
I have no other notes from that audition tape simply because I never heard back. And I think a common denominator here when you start to go on more auditions than normal, you'll realize that more often than not, you're going to hear a lot of nothing, like not even no, just nothing, especially if your first round is a self-tape or you're just submitting for something like there's there's no real rhyme or reason. Sometimes it's a no, but they just don't feel like telling you or they don't have the time to tell you. Sometimes it's a not yet, but we're going to keep you on file, but we're not going to tell you that because we know it and you don't need to know it. Sometimes it's a yes, but we forgot about you. I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason. Um, all you can do is just do the best on your self-tape and then move the hell on. So that's it. Then... My time with The World According to Snoopy was up. I was done with my time in Texas, and I moved back home to New Jersey. And by the end of June of 2017, I went to my first in-person audition after graduating college. And it was for Finding Nemo. Now, if you guys all know the show where the viral TikTok, the kid sings, where's my dad? Let me tell you something right now. That show in Disney World is, I I can't curse. I don't want to curse too much on this podcast, but that show is fire, okay? Absolutely fire. And I loved going to see the Finding Nemo production in Disney World. So of course I was going to go to this open call for Disney. Now I've only gone to like, one or two open calls for Disney. And I've had several people work at Disney on the Disney cruise ships, Disneyland, Disney World, Disney Hong Kong. And though I've done Disney shows, I've never actually worked for Disney. But I have an idea of what they might be looking for when they are casting for their shows. And it's very specific. And if you ever take a look at the breakdowns for a Disney casting call. They are specific in the way that they word their character breakdowns, you know, when it says like must be between 54 and 56 or must be slim or must be petite. They'll get really specific with the physicality of a character. And I think in some capacity every casting director has this in the back of their mind. They're looking for a specific type or a specific look for their picture of their show. But I think with Disney, it's like tenfold because they already have these iconic characters that made their rounds on Broadway or in national tours or on TV or in blockbuster films. You know, when you're casting an Elsa in Frozen, you really want to make sure that that person looks like Elsa and sounds like Adina. This casting call was crazy, but it wasn't the craziest I've been to. And I think it's just because, you know, it was an open call. So anyone could go EMC, which is equity membership candidates at the time, which is no longer a thing anymore. Um, equity members, non-equity actors, you name it. Anyone that wanted to go to this audition could go. And there was no jurisdiction over like who was going to be seen first it was just a matter of first come first serve because this was my first like open call in New York City after graduating I didn't really know what to expect so it was nice going to something that wasn't super dire or important to me just something that I wanted to get off my chest 
it being the first show I had ever auditioned for after school. And because I knew the show and I grew up loving it and going to see Disney World, it was just a really easy time for me. This is what I wore. I, I, I remember it so vividly. <laughs> I wore jean capris, okay, skinny jean capris, a blue flowy top, space buns half up, half down, because I actually look kind of cute, okay? I was giving like Dory vibes and sparkly boat shoes, sparkly boat shoes. I'm pretty sure they were sparkly Sperry's. And I just wanted to give like, they were sequindy and I just wanted to give like under the water. You know what I mean? And I ended up singing, I'm not that smart. It was a 32 bar cut of I'm not that smart. And let me tell you something. If you're going to audition for, if I were, okay, if I were behind the table at an audition for Finding Nemo and someone auditioned for the role of Dory with I'm not that smart from Spelling Bee, instantly I'd give them a call back instantly. <laughs> I did not get a call back for that production. <laughs> uh, but I would definitely give someone a call back because I thought that was the smartest thing to choose. Okay, moving on. May 30th, 2017, I had an audition for a show at Nymph. Nymph was an annual three-week summer festival that operated in New York from 2004 to 2019. And it presented more than 30 new musicals a year in Midtown, Manhattan. Let me tell you how I landed this audition. So when I went to school, I first came across the idea of something known as summer stock, which is basically theater that happens over the summer primarily. And lots of college students would participate in this. I didn't really know what the hell this was, but I started to audition for it because I thought, why not? And I would love to do a show over the summer to build my resume. And I was going to auditions for different things. I was auditioning for uh, the Muni. I literally went to St. Louis and auditioned for the Muni, which is a regional theater, one of the biggest, if not the oldest regional theaters in the country. It's super prestigious and would still love to work there. They were auditioning for a full season of shows and their shows last like a week. So you do a show and then that's it, you know, or you get cast in the season and you do multiple shows in the summer, but that's rare. So I was going to different auditions like that. And my first year doing that, I, I didn't book anything, which was okay. But I still wanted to fill my time. And I remember taking some classes. I, I took some summer classes to get those credits out of the way, which is actually the reason why I have Actor Aesthetic today, because by the end of my time at Texas State, I needed to take some extra courses because I was pretty much done with everything else and I had some free time. And I ended up taking a media class that made me create a blog for a grade, and that was Actor Aesthetic. But as a freshman going to be a sophomore, I was like, why not? Let me just take some classes. So that's one way I passed my time. But another way was I ended up asking my head of musical theater at the time for any ideas or help finding an apprenticeship or an internship with an agent. 
And I remember her saying, listen, I have a friend who's a casting director and he's looking for possibly someone or he's always looking for someone to help him with casting, with um, doing some paperwork and things like that to, uh, you know, it's only him. It's it's not a big uh, casting office of multiple people. And I said, okay, cool, send him my contact information. And I ended up helping him with one of his first big uh, summer auditions for Nymph at the time, which had to have been like 2014 or or 20, yeah, 2014 maybe. And I helped him out and I stayed around all day and I made sure that he felt taken care of and that I was able to uh, run around for him while he was in the audition room. And there were a crap ton of people at that audition. It was an open call for the season. So, you know, there were a million shows they were doing at the time. So there were a million people that showed up and I helped him out. By the end of that day, I was asked to be an intern for him for the rest of the summer. And holy crap, I learned a lot. And I'm sure there's an episode somewhere in here about my experience working behind the table with Michael. But I do think it's important to note that sometimes you just got to make your own opportunities happen. You have to just put your best foot forward. It's not always going to come to you. You kind of have to reach out for those opportunities to eventually be there when you're ready for them. Flash forward to 2017 and it was me who was auditioning for Nymph this time and I had gotten my first audition appointment. My first audition appointment in person for an actual role. Uh, You know, I grew up going in and out of the city for auditions with an agent who was awesome But this was my first audition appointment out of school. I was no longer with my previous agents before going to college. And I was really only freelancing with my now agents that I work with. So, you know, I was new. I was was pretty much a baby and new to my agents and new to this world. So getting that audition appointment on my own was super exciting. And I was so freaking nervous. I think now if Nymph was still going on and that audition was happening in 2023, that first round of auditions would have probably been a self-tape round, but also at the same time, pretty much the entire creative team was at this audition. So it did kind of feel like, you know, didn't have a whole lot of time for the casting process, kind of had to nail down the cast quickly type scenario. And there was a lot of material already you know, around on the internet for this show. I might have even heard something before even finding out about the audition online before this. So, you know, I, I I had a feeling that this was a scenario where they were just looking to fill a couple of holes in the cast where maybe someone moved on, maybe uh, someone was doing another project and wasn't available for that. And so they were looking for some people to fill in last minute For that audition, they asked me to sing a song from my book and to read some sides from the show as well as sing a song from the show. And what you'll notice and what was new to me was the fact that for these auditions, especially if you have to learn a new song, uh, they will most likely have some sort of, not only will they send you the sheet music, but they'll most likely have some sort of like plunked out audition demo for you to listen to so that you can hear the the song without having to go to someone and and learn the song yourself. 
So that was helpful. And I remember being incredibly, incredibly nervous. And I definitely messed up a bunch of times, especially on the dialogue. What I learned over time auditioning a crap ton is that I have to work twice as hard on dialogue and sides that are given to me over a song because songs come super easy to me. I can learn the material really quick, but give me a monologue or a couple of scenes and it takes me a little bit to memorize enough where I can feel like I can play in the audition room. I don't remember what the note is, and I wish I wrote it down, but I do remember getting some type of note. I I ended up doing all of the sides from the audition. I do remember getting some note from the director and feeling like I achieved it. Probably I achieved probably 75% of what they were looking for, but that other 25% was unfortunately stifled by me. I'm my own worst enemy because I didn't feel as confident in the material So I wasn't, you know, like fully, fully off book enough to achieve what I wanted to achieve, which is okay. You know, I was 22, 23, and I was still learning, but that was a great learning experience. And I felt supported by Michael in that audition room since he was the casting director. I didn't book the job, but I felt like, okay, this is a good first step. In total, in 2017, I only went on... Less than 40 auditions, which is crazy because then 2018, I went on at least, holy crap, at least 200. That first year, I went on 40. And then in 2018, 200, which is absolutely insane given the fact that I did two contracts in 2018. And I still went to 200 auditions. I I can't even... It's just crazy, crazy, crazy time. But let's continue. The next audition was uh, the beginning of July in 2017. And I actually just talked about it in the episode before this. It was my very first EPA I ever went to. So if you haven't listened to that episode, stop it right now. Stop this episode right now and go on over to episode 194 because I talk about my experience, what I learned, what I wish I knew before going to this EPA, all of the logistics, everything Everything you need to know about EPAs, especially if you are in New York City, you want to listen to that episode. So stop this right now and go to that episode. But if you listen to it, great. Let's move on. Because as we know, you know, that was a really good first EPA I went to. I was able to get seen, which is awesome. A lot of times when you're non-equity and you're going to these EPAs or equity course calls, it's really difficult to uh, find time to get seen, to actually do your audition. You're often sent away. And uh, that one I was able to do my stuff. So I called that a win. 2017 was a big year for me in terms of cruise ship auditions because they were the easiest ones for me, at least the most accessible ones, for me to self-submit to. So, you know, cruise ships will often have every six months or nine months, however long their contracts are on those ships now, they'll post about their auditions regularly. And so they will have regular auditions every couple of months. And you'll see them on Playbill and Broadway World on their official Norwegian or Royal Caribbean sites. And you can physically apply to them 
via email or self-submission portal. I knew I was so right for Greece and Royal Caribbean was doing Greece, so of course I was going to submit for Sandy. Stuart Whitley was the casting director. I ended up wearing a skirt, navy blue skirt, preppy flowy top, nude heels, half up, half down hair. Wow, look at me go. So I wore that. This is crazy. I I wore that in the morning and I had an audition in the evening for Swing on Norwegian Cruise Line and I wore something super similar. But in the morning, I sang Hopelessly Devoted to You from Greece. And in the afternoon, when I was auditioning for Swing on Norwegian, I ended up singing a song called Two and Four, which is a song from Swing and then Cowboy Casanova. Now, what you'll notice if you're interested in auditioning for cruise ships is that they often will give you songs to sing sometimes very heavy audition packets so be mindful of that and they'll uh, present you with the opportunity to sing something not only from the show that they're doing on the ship but then a song that's more of a pop single maybe a song from a really popular song from a popular artist and It's important that not only can you sing a musical theater song, say you're auditioning for Hairspray or Grease, but then also that you can nail pop because remember you're entertaining people who are on vacation and many of them don't know a lot about musical theater, but they know a lot about the radio. So if you're trying to figure out what the hell do I get good at while I'm at school, it's becoming as versatile as you can and really diving into all different aspects of theater and entertainment so that when you get into an audition setting, you can nail multiple styles of singing, multiple styles of dance, and multiple characters. So even though I didn't get that callback for Greece, which at the time they were giving you callbacks really pretty much right after you sang. I didn't get a callback for Greece, but I did get a callback for Swing. And I cannot remember if we'll see later on in the, yes, later on in my audition journal I have that I uh, had my callback later in the summer. But um, I remember they gave me a slip right after I exited the audition room saying they'd love to see me again. And, you know, here's material to prepare for that. So that was cool. That was my first big callback after graduating. Then um, the following day, I had an audition for the Sound of Music national tour. This was a non-equity national tour, which I didn't really know the difference between equity and non-equity national tours anyway at the time. So I didn't know the difference. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. I think because I was in college and away from the audition scene, they were towards the end of their casting. I had never even stepped foot in an audition for this production until July 17th of 2017. And I think they were about to embark quickly after that on their rehearsal process and then eventually the tour itself. So I know they were just pretty much rounding up their casting process. My audition appointment was for female ensemble. I don't think I had any other information there except female ensemble. Yeah. And so I ended up singing A song from my book, I've Never Been in Love Before, from Guys and Dolls. I did some sides, two different 
nuns from the show and that's it. And what's crazy is that night I found out I was called back for a final callback for the production, which was insane because I had never even had a callback for the show until that final callback. And this time it was to understudy Elsa, which is the captain's fiance, which was actually so fun and flirty because I always thought I was more of a Liesel Maria, like super naive, sweet, but like has a fun, quirky side to her. And to play Elsa, I was like so down for the ride. Um, and I ended up shortly after that. Wow. Yeah. Only a week after that audition, I had my final callback for the director and choreographer of the show. That was cool. Didn't book that production, but I felt really, really proud of the work that I did there. And I ended up going to several more EPAs. I tried my best to get seen at as many as possible, or at least you know, learn my way around the equity building, learn my way around what a non-equity list might be. Um, I was EMC at that point, equity membership candidate. So I had a couple of points on me, which meant that I could get seen a little bit quicker than the average non-union actor. But still, there were several auditions in which I went and sat around all day and didn't get seen. It was a little disheartening, but I knew that you know, I had a lot of time, a lot of downtime when I was sitting at these auditions, which is when and how I was able to focus on actor aesthetic, writing blog posts, brainstorming podcast ideas. I was really growing my business without even realizing it. So that was a really formative time of my life. It wasn't until I went to an open call for a production at the Fireside Theater, which this open call was for a Christmas show at the Fireside Theater. I didn't know a whole lot about the musical version of this show. I knew the play, didn't know the musical, but I went in anyway singing a classic song, um, music that makes me dance from Funny Girl, and I wore a nice dress, and I felt really good and confident and felt like I gave my best my best material. However, what's so crazy about that experience was I ended up sitting at this open call next to what I found out what later on was the producer and director of many of the shows at the Fireside Theater. And I had several conversations with him before even auditions began. He was just sitting there um, taking names as people were signing in because, uh, you know, usually he has someone that comes in and helps him out as a monitor, um, but he didn't have someone with him at the time, so he was doing it himself. And I had no idea, right? Like, I was totally clueless, but I was polite nonetheless, and I actually got into a conversation with him. I remember talking with him about New York sports because I'm a super big sports person, and and uh, he grew up in New York, and even though the, the theater itself is in Wisconsin, he is a New Yorker through and through. So we talked about that. We talked about some some shows that were happening at the time on Broadway. And then later I find out very quickly that he is actually the producer of the theater. So I was glad that I was able to have that conversation with him beforehand because it set me up. When I walk into the audition room, I found out that the man that's playing the piano for the auditions, the accompanist for the auditions, I am quite familiar with. In fact, he was the conductor for a musical that was out on tour. It was the Little House on the Prairie 
musical version that went out on tour, you know, back in the late 2000s. And my sister was a part of that production. Carol Lindsay was in it. Melissa Gilbert, who was in the original Little House on the Prairie. They were all in it and it was awesome. And he was actually the conductor of the show. And not only was Taylor, you know, super familiar with him because she went on tour with him. My grandpa, who was her, uh, her, chaperone at the time was incredibly familiar with them so much so they were good friends and even though I hadn't seen Richard for a long time I knew of him knew of his name uh loved his work on the show and you know was just a big fan of him so I recognized him when I walked in the room and even though you know I wasn't super super close with him I went over to him and I said listen Richard you might not recognize my face but I'm actually the sister of Taylor Bear who you were on tour with and of course he he lit up and it was really exciting to see him talk quickly with me about Taylor and ask how she was and and ask how my grandpa was and it was a really cool connection that we made. So by the time I started singing, I mean it felt it it felt like the best audition I had ever had because it felt super collaborative. Like Richard was really on my side and that's how you want to feel at every audition. You really want to feel like you and your accompanist are working hand in hand to give the best audition possible. It's not always going to happen. More often than not, it won't. But in this case, it really just clicked. So by the end of my audition, I felt awesome. And and I had a long conversation with the producer of the theater afterwards. He had told me in the room, listen, you might not be super right for this production, but we're doing several productions coming up this year that you are a good fit for. And I'd love for you to come back in and read for those roles. I'll have you come in for callbacks and read for the understudy. I'd love to see you read regardless and we'll see what happens. So that was that. And little did I know that audition was about to change my life because what's so funny is I, I, I remember waking up that morning thinking, I don't feel like going to another open call because at the time I'd been going to a lot of open calls and feeling like feeling really defeated, feeling like I'm not hearing back from people, feeling like, you know, I'm waiting around all day at these EPAs and not getting seen. When is it going to be my turn? I was feeling really down on myself. So I thought, I don't really feel like going to this audition. And there were times where I was really close to not going. This one especially, but I'm so glad I went because then I got that call back. I showed up the following week. I did my work and I felt like, you know, I, I represented myself really well in the audition room and I didn't hear for a little bit. However, do you remember at the beginning of this episode, I talked about how I ended up getting a job offer from Holland America? Well, it just so happened that it was my first audition after graduating. It wasn't necessarily in person in New York, but it was in person nonetheless. And it took a while after that second callback tape to really hear anything at all. But over the summer, I got an email for an availability check, which if you don't know what this is, it's exactly how it sounds. A casting director or creative team member will reach out to you and say, hey, are you interested and available for whatever? They'll say, are you available these dates or when are you available for work? And then um, they might ask if you're interested in the production or the, the contract they might eventually offer you. And I remember saying, at the time that I, when I had auditioned for the Holland America contract, that I'd be available as soon as my contract ended with uh, the show I was doing in Houston. So 
I randomly one day got an offer, got a job offer for a singer contract on Holland America. And it was a great job offer. It was really exciting. The, the travel, the pay, the opportunity. I was freaking so excited and so proud. But this was right around the time where I was starting to find my footing, getting a couple of callbacks, hearing some no's, but also hearing some maybes, feeling like I was finding my footing with my agents. And then I got this series of maybes with the Fireside Theater. So I reached out to the producer from the Fireside Theater and I said, listen, I know that we had this conversation in person at my audition and callback about how you had mentioned I might be a good fit for the rest of your season. However, I just got a job offer for a cruise line and I have to tell them as soon as possible whether or not I'm going to take this job offer. I know that auditions for your upcoming season are not for a couple of weeks, but I need to know if I might perhaps be in the running for any of your shows. And I thought, you know, this is this is honestly just a big chance. Like, I, he could not even respond to me. He doesn't even need to respond to me f- for that matter. You know, we don't really have a working relationship yet, so I wasn't expecting a whole lot. But then to my surprise, he answered me, and he answered me really honestly. And he, I'll paraphrase for his purposes, but just to give you an idea of what he had he had written back to me was something along the lines of, you know, if 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 what you want to do is perform on stage here, I do think that you should continue to pursue your career in the States as opposed to um, outside the United States, you know, out on, on the water. And I would love to give you the opportunity to be in um, Phantom, which was the next show that they were doing at the Fireside. Now, I had not even auditioned for the show, but he had a good idea of what I was capable of and gave me a tentative offer for the show regardless. I was so young that I just didn't know like how important this was, how surreal this was. I had these two job offers that I had to make a decision on quickly and and I ended up choosing that tentative offer to be in a regional show at the Fireside over the contract with Holland America. It was a really hard decision, especially because I didn't even receive a contract or an audition yet for Fireside. But I knew deep down I wanted to do theater regionally and eventually, hopefully, work my way to Off-Broadway and hopefully Broadway in New York. But the one thing I was gutsy enough to do was ask for my equity card. Now we have something called Actors' Equity Open Access, where as long as you have performed and gotten compensated for your work in the United States, you can qualify to join the union. But at the time, that was not the case. You either had to have worked 50, or I think either 25 or 50 weeks at an equity theater under the Equity Membership Candidate Program, or you had to be given a contract through equity. You had to be given an equity contract. And I basically negotiated my way to that equity contract because I knew that 
if I was going to make this worth my while, if I was going to make this all worth it, I wanted to at least, no matter who I was playing on that show, get my equity card. It was something that I was really looking forward to. It was something that I was working toward and I knew I was ready. So I asked for my equity card and he gave me an equity contract. I ended up auditioning for the show formally. I was offered female ensemble and understudied the lead role of Christine in Phantom. And that is how I got my equity card. And I wrote something on my Instagram recently. I I made a post about my six-year anniversary since joining Actors' Equity Association at the end of 2017 with my contract in Phantom and what I've learned. And I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that it doesn't matter if you have an agent. It doesn't matter if you're already a member of the union. You still have to advocate for yourself. You are your best advocate. No one else can do it better than you. And you have to remember that in this industry. You won't get what you want unless you ask for it. And you have to be smart and you have to look out for yourself because no one else is going to except for you and maybe your family and close friends. But really, it is a, a strict business. It is a competitive business. It is a lonely business. And if you're not looking out for yourself, you're not taking care of yourself and you're not asking for what you want. It is going to be a really depressing business. So I hope that this episode has, it's definitely been one of my longer solo episodes, but I hope that if you've gotten this far, you've learned or at least taken away from this episode, the importance of self-discovery and advocating for yourself. I learned so much from taking notes from my audition journal about what worked and what didn't in just my first year of auditions so that I could take that and run with it and get better and better. If you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not advocating yourself, you are in for a rude awakening in this industry. If you found this episode helpful, share it to your Instagram stories, tag at actor aesthetic. If you have thoughts, questions about the union comments concerns send them my way dm me at actor aesthetic or shoot me an email at maggie at actor aesthetic.com i've been getting more dms and stuff than normal so i apologize in advance if i don't get to you as quickly as i once did but i promise i will eventually i love you all it takes a village i will see you next week